Live from CUBE headquarters in Palo Alto, California, it's the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. Okay, we're here, a lot of stuff going on. Since our show last Friday, oh my God, we were you know riffing on, on the politics, but the Trump tape came out on women. Huge backlash, essentially, in my opinion, laws is, is completely the election is toast at this yes, point. Yes, I agree. You know, even with the debate was, uh, was, was um, you know, his last dead man walking, nuclear option. He went, you know, total disgrace. It's just, you know, I used to like Trump in the shows as an entertainer, you know, the apprentice, you're fired. But he's just really, he's just a real tool, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, just so He's obvious. a pig. And we have the Women in Tech conference coming up. And again, this is the topic on the politics side, the role of women in tech steam stem we're going to be covering it grace hopper celebration will be there starting i'll be flying out monday to houston and of course dell world's next week other big news since last friday we kind of talked was about, there but was there other big news is the samsung blowing phones blowing up which we did talk about announced the recall and, and huge gaff they're pulling it all in this is probably the biggest gaffe. What's your thoughts peter i mean this is just like ridiculous uh when was the last time technology problems started other than problems with planes, actually grounded planes. So blowing up cell phone batteries are grounding airplanes. Yeah, you know what? That's a problem. So Samsung's got a real serious issue on its hands. I was on Twitter talking about this, and I'm like, you know, I'm just putting it out there. What This is the, probably the biggest gaffe in tech history in terms of malfunctioning products. And I was trying to think, what was the biggest impact of in the technology that I can remember? And, and it goes back to the floating point thing on Pentium was a bug that caused, in, almost put Intel out of business. I mean, that was a recall, caused all kinds of stir. But it wasn't. It wasn't fire on an airplane. <laughs> it was so they're going to lose three billion dollars in operating profit from yeah, this. Three huge. billion in profit, and, and they're talking about only a hundred dollars to get people to bring the thing back. So there's one point nine million of them, or something like that, out there. So that hundred, that three billion dollar loss in operating profit is that is is a result of people not buying the product as it currently stands. We're talking about Samsung losing an entire product cycle in a hyper-competitive marketplace. Yeah, and news, great news for Google. We're going to dig into that in, in one of our segments focuses on product quality. Well, repeat that. It's great news for Google because just as this happens, Google launches a new product. Yeah. And, of course, Apple's still on the high end. They're not worried about little anything. little Android bug in there that's making the phones blow up to make it easy for Google, huh? And, of course, we talked about VMware and Amazon. The announcement was yesterday. We were there in the front row. I was there. The whole team was there. We got great video with Raghu, who's the chief architect. Saw Sanjay Poonin, Andy Jassy. We had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, exclusive with Andy Jassy and Pat Gelsinger. And we got audio tape, and I'm going to publish that, you know, uncut raw tape and it really is fun you can hear it's the, a great tape you though. can hear the cadence of their voices it really is a good deal we're going to debate that because we there's been a whole segment debating this because you and and dave Vellante were debating on text he had some great tweets i have an opinion we have a lot of opinions certainly everyone in the industry is going to have an opinion about amazon and vmware what it means at the end of the day we're going to talk about what it means to customers so you know that's going to be a big conversation it's going to be an ongoing one because it absolutely is going to change the industry in my opinion the landscape will be impacted by this deal absolutely there's no question about it it's going to be this is this is going to go down in history as one of the seminal deals in tech Coming up next, we're going to drill down into this Galaxy fiasco and AWS VMware. And no then, more Trump? And <laughs> we don't want it. He's done. Put a fork in him. He's done. Um, and we're going to talk about the role of the security. The hacks keep going on, and, and, and Yahoo's price is going to drop. We saw Verizon pushing that. But, Peter, you made a good point before we came on about how 
the government protects this country, but individuals are being targeted, whether it's spear phishing, as they call in the industry or whatever, our liberties are at risk. Our financial positions are at are exposed. And, you know, I don't think there's a strategy. It doesn't seem to be no, one. We're going to talk about that uh, in, in one of our big segments. And I think that is, uh, you know, number one conversation in terms of fear. Um, you know, we're, in, we're, we're going to go jump right into our first segment um, after this short break. Hi, I'm Stu Miniman. I've been an analyst with Wikibon and a co-host of The Cube since 2010. It's been an exciting journey working with The Cube. Uh, we get to go out to so many shows, help extract the signal from the noise, uh, interact with such a wide variety of, uh, of, of clientele, both practitioners, thought leaders, the big name uh, industry people, and we've helped some people uh, raise their profiles in there. Uh, especially love working with those practitioners. Uh, we've seen them move their careers forward and move their businesses forward as they take advantage of uh, technologies and practices uh, that they've learned talking with us, working with our research people, and working with their peers. This is Stu Miniman. Thanks for watching The Cube. You're listening to the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. Today's Peter Ferris. Peter, we're back on segment uh, one here. Drill down on some of the big impact of the news out there. And technology is the Amazon Web Services, the, the number one public cloud, doing a joint announcement with VMware, uh, which was super secret, but then ultimately got leaked, and we were speculating it on it. We kind of got it right, wrong, but the, for the right reasons. And this is a, a game changer for the industry, certainly VMware. Well, but, we got parts of it wrong, John. I think in general, we, we got it right. And we also, and the stuff we didn't get right, probably is going to end up happening. So, uh, you know, g give us an 80% on this one. Right, let's, go, let's get into this. So Amazon is now running. So VMware and Amazon announced that VMware now can run their VMware stack and software on let's, Amazon. Let's a customer. Because at the end of the I'm day, saying, this is going to be customer. Good, good point. A VMware customer, and there are many, can now take their solution and run it on Amazon Web Services anywhere in the region in the world, anywhere globally, instantly, without any changes or modifications. It's going to be an operating service, just like standing up AWS. They can stand up VMware in the cloud instantly. Uh, expected to be shipping in mid 20s but they did show demos. This is a game changer because Amazon just given them infrastructure and it's a seamless path to what now is called a hybrid cloud solution. So it's not a concept anymore. We used to say, what the hell is hybrid cloud? It's a mindset, it's a philosophy. In this case, this actually is a solution. I mean, this is for VMware customers. It's a hybrid cloud solution. So VMware is one of those domains where businesses have bet the business on it. By that, I mean that a lot of their operate their their operational applications, their core financials, their core you know their core HR, their core manufacturing, their supply chain, all the things that the business requires to close the books to conduct business, are been have been put in a hybrid, or have been virtualized and put into VMware to reduce the hardware costs, the infrastructure costs, and the management costs, and it's worked extremely successfully. Sometimes. I'd say better than anybody ever thought it would. So kudos to VMware. And a lot of a lot of executives successfully or uh, argued to go with VMware, won the argument and have ridden that up up through the organization. And then they get to the point where they're looking at a cul-de-sac. And the cul-de-sac, they get down there and say, "Okay, now cloud." And they're going, 
how is VMware going to get me to the cloud? And that was the question in a lot of these guys' minds. I have taken the business from having our own bespoke hardware plant, our own network, our own everything else, dedicated to all these applications. I've reduced costs. I've improved flexibility. I've dramatically improved What's the relevance of this? I mean, at the end of the day, everyone talks about who wins, who loses, but the relevance is what it's the customers because That's at right. the end of the day let's face it you know amazon is a badass cloud it's really awesome it's easy to stand up you can do great stuff in it we use it startups love it because it's you know no no real low it's a low cost point of entry yeah you pay as you go but it's really easy and well, enterprises want that. It, they want that functionality. At the end of the day it works. Uh, we don't hear a lot of we don't hear a lot of reports from users uh, either directly or through press and other intermediaries, that there's a problem with it. Um, the only issue you ever hear is that some of the pricing models sometimes hurt people that have been a part of it or have grown very dramatically. So there's always issues, but it works. So Dave Vellante had an interesting tweet storm. He said, let me translate the customer perspective. <laughs> and he said, um, the first one was, um, where do I find it? Here, here it is. The first one was... Um, Look, you've maxed out your data center. Let me translate it. You've squeezed the blood from the data center stone with virtualization. Now you've done all that you can do. Two, you're locked into the processes and procedures of VMware. This is from a customer's perspective. Three, you're jonesing for agility and innovation on AWS. Come on in, the water's nice and warm. That was essentially the announcement yesterday. Hey, customers, you maxed out with virtualization. The data center, you, 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 you've taken it to a level. Okay. Yeah, he's right. You know, you got operating <laughs> lock-in. You have value. You have applications but it's running. More than that. See, see, see. One of the things to remember about this, John, is that we we is that the long-term consequences of these deals is there's not going to be a lot of profit margin in infrastructure. We know that. Everybody's going to go to this stuff. This is going to be the basis for and a common way for business to do things. You're not going to see a lot of margin, which means this is a penetration game. VMware has successfully made virtualization happen. Are they going to make more customers virtualize using VMware? Customers who haven't done this yet, so there's three types of, types of customers. Customers who have done it, customers who haven't done it, and customers who have chosen to do something else. VMware customers who have done it are sitting there saying, I like it, it works, it has really dragged Finally, the they're saying, value. finally. Yes, I have a way forward. But that group of customers, and this is the vast, still the vast majority of the computing industry, is looking at this and saying, "Do I go with VMware? Do I go with? Do I go with VMware? Do I go with AWS? And what are they going to say? They're not going to go with VMware. That's not going to be the first choice. Not when they're bored to tell them to go to the cloud. So this now gives VMware a shot at those undecided customers, like this was a presidential election. This is a bridge to the future, and this is about making the cloud great again. Um, and, that's right. You know, that, to, to weave in, but I don't want, that's a Trump reference, so it's not, probably not the right thing. But here's the thing. If you're a sales rep for VMware, you're probably getting your ass handed to you by your customer saying, hey, you... What the hell's my option? I don't want to spend more money with you guys. I'm already paying the license. Unless you can show me cloud that's seamlessly integrated, we're not we're not talking. 
I don't want to have to go through a migration. I got to move the database, all this migration costs. You're going to have to do, look, you're going to have to do some of it, right? Well, you're you're going to have to do a migration. This, this very minimal migration in the demo, it was basically standing If you're a VMware up, customer. If I'm you're talking, a VMware customer. For those undecided customers, for that group of customers that are out there that haven't started the move yet, you're going to have to do some work to get to either of these paths. They just froze the market on Microsoft. In my opinion, that sales guy can now say, hey, Peter, I got your back. We have a path to the cloud. So no no change in business. Let's continue to do our thing. Let's hit the golf course. Let's go to the game. Whatever they do, they're going to continue to do the business with VM where there's no radical shifting happening. I'm not and sure now I agree, there's a, now there's a shift I'm to the sure cloud. I'm not sure I agree. Here, here's, here's what I think we're going to end up with. I, gotta think, I think we're going to end up with the market saying, I'm going to go with the path that requires the least migration work. And that's going to be that's going to have a dominant impact. That starting position is going to have a dominant impact. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Oracle customers, what's the starting position? What requires the least migration? What's least migration work? Go with Oracle. Microsoft customers, yeah, it's mostly Office. So there'll be a lot of law firms and a lot of agencies and a lot of other folks who mainly work in Office tools. Start with Microsoft. VMware customers, start with VMware. Everybody else, it's not in that camp, here's where are you going to go? Here's, here's the difference, though. I, I, I'm not sure we're, we're disagreeing, but here's what I would say. You're exactly right. That VMware customer now has a place in the cloud instantly. So yes. there's now a path there. I'm like a, they it's, don't it's, have a, it's a relief out. for now. But now they get the goodness of AWS. Now they get to go shopping in Amazon and say, hey, you know what? Yep. Instead of doing all this new uh, custom development, I'm going to change my SaaS development strategy and sling APIs in the cloud all day long because I can do more with less. And so you're going to see a lot more productivity on using the Amazon services, Kinesis, Redshift, Lambda, whatever they have. So I'm a customer. I'm like, great. VMware's locked and loaded. Now let's get down to business, open up the tool chest of Amazon Web Services, whether it's analytics, whether it's edge computing, whatever. They have a plan. No, you're right. And, that, and that's a great observation. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of it still is going to be dependent upon what does this massive developers that still hasn't completely decided which direction they're going to go. But I, we just need to be clear, and I'm sure you know most, of the, most folks here in the Valley understand this, the work of migration sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And the original position of your original position is really important, and doing, taking the path that requires the least migration is going to have a major impact on where you end up. The cloud happening. The storm is coming over Silicon Valley, certainly the game changer. I personally like this deal a lot because, one, um, I'm a geek and I love market. Yeah, I, do too. I love the market movements, and I love both companies. Um, love VMware, and I love... AWS. In fact, at VMworld this year, the vibe was uh, AWS reinvents the new VMworld because VMworld used to be the hot hip show. Now with this deal, you have a culture culture integration. There's no culture clash because it's clearly segmented. It's a merging of two cultures. So um, yesterday in, in their interview, Rob Hofe asked uh, Andy Jassy and Pat Gelsinger, why did it take so long to conceive this product and roll out? If it was so obvious, what took so long and, and which won't happen now until mid-2017? Jassy said, if you look three or four years ago, the number of enterprises running was significantly different in the cloud than it was now, okay? Now, customers are asking it and demanding it. That's what's really changed. Gelsinger says, three years ago, the market was different and the technical challenges seemed way too large for that market opportunity. Now, there's a compelling offering. So, that's, that's the position. The question is, do you believe it? Yeah! And what do you think about the Paul Moritz, Joe Tucci 
comment because Dave and I were talking like, hey, you know, in 2010 when we did VMworld, you had Maritz up there saying, hey, this is the mainframe in the cloud. Tucci owned VMware. Private cloud was all the rage. They wanted to dominate the tech business. Well, never happened. Well, it, Tucci's gone and it, says Maritz. It, it never happened. It never happened. And guess what? It was never going to happen. And now we're in a situation where, on the one hand, VMware or, or AWS has created a cloud that the enterprise can rely on. Uh, if it has the right set of services, VMware has successfully virtualized everybody uh, that they are going to. They're stable, and they know how to move them forward. So both of those executives are right. Look, John, one of the best indications of whether this they're both serious about it is whether or not there was any back you know, behind the back asset swap types of things. We talked about this last week. Yep. There was none. These two there's guys, economics, though. There's our, there are there's economics. Always economics. But these two guys, these two guys are looking at this deal and seeing 50-50. It's about executing at this point in time. Now, are there are there going to be are there still uncertainties in this deal? Yeah, absolutely. Some of my back channels have said, some of my back channel conversations have been about uh, does VMware have the DNA required? to actually keep this deal going, especially if Amazon does things that agitate it. And we'll see whether or not Amazon, because Amazon's going to launch a whole bunch of new services. They're going to say, hey, now that you're here, yeah. why don't you get off of VMware? Well, I mean, I think it's going to come down to leadership. Ragu is a great leader. Gelsinger, although he's kind of a showman, has to make sure that Ragu and his team can execute because the, I, the DNA to me is simply can VMware well, DNA is twofold. Cultural, I think yeah. there's going to be a fit there. They both, I think, Sanjay Poonin and, and uh, Andy Jassy get get along well together. The issue on DNA is can they keep up with the pace? Does VMware have their running shoes, and can they pace with AWS? Right. I mean, AWS is putting out three new services a day. I mean, their product announcements that reinvent are like a truckload of, you know. <laughs> is some VMware engineer here in, in Palo Alto going to see a product press announcement and go metaphorically running down to their boss and say, I can't work in this environment when they keep doing things well, I without think, telling me. I think it's going to be, I personally, my bet, my bet is, and I'm not saying this because I'm a homer for VMware, but, you know, they have a geek culture. And, you know, we do a lot of shows. Their communities are strong and they have a bunch of geeks. That is same with Amazon. Amazon is very humble. They don't. They're not. They're not very flamboyant in their marketing. They're all about engineering and, and product excellence. Hey, some of the best. So, some of the best uh, AWS uh, 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 developers in the world in this time next year are going to be working at VMware. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you right now, my look in the eye I looked right in the eyes of Andy Jassy and Pat Gelsinger, mainly Jassy, because I want to see that. Uh, we're going to talk about this in our next segment is, is it committed to the deal? And I, and I, based on my in-person assessment, Peter, I think this is a very, very, very real deal. And uh, I got no body swerving of any kind. This was just a, you know, propped up business deal just to kind of do a Barney deal or an easy deal. You, so, you know, John, I would say it's one of, it, it's, it's a great deal in the sense that it's gonna come down to execution. And that's where it starts. All right, we're gonna talk about this in our next segment, Thinking Out Loud, customer-centric thinking versus the supplier-vendor-driven model. I'm John Furrier with Peter Burris, Silicon Valley Friday show coming up with more after this break. Since the dawn of big data, oh, so the, next the Cube has been there. Connecting with executives, practitioners, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. But you're not a thought leader anymore. You're a futurist. That's the new trend. Futurist is the buzzword. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm very much living in the past. <laughs> I don't like the future. 
<laughs> I don't think much of the person. And John Cleese. There's a lot of people out there who have no idea what they're doing, but they have absolutely no idea that they have no idea what they're doing. And those are the ones with the confidence of stupidity who finish up in power. That's why the planet doesn't work. Knowledgeable. Insightful and a true gentleman. And the guy at the counter recognized me and said, are you listening? Yes, I'm tweeting away. I tweet, I'm tweeting away. He is kind of rude that way, but. John Cleese joins the Cube alumni. Welcome, John. You got any phone calls you need to answer? Hold on, let me check. The Cube is a comfortable place. You come inside the Cube and we have a conversation. Uh, almost as if it were a, a, a chance meeting and we have a, a discussion about a particular topic. Our philosophy is everybody's expert at something. Everybody's passionate about something and has real deep knowledge about that something. Well, we want to focus in on that area and extract that knowledge and share it with our community. So folks who have never heard of it before come in the Cube and say, wow, this is really cool what you guys are doing. It's unique. It adds value to the community and it adds value by really sharing information. I can't tell you how many people stop me at conferences or on the streets, on our airports, say, hey, I love your show. People that I've never met before, they say to me, I know you, you don't know me. I watch the cube, I queue up your videos, I listen to them while I'm on the, the treadmill. You know, it helps me, you know, learn, expands my knowledge, you know, thank you. So, you know, it's really an honor to be part of that community. This is Dave Vellante. Thanks for watching the cube. You're listening to the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. We talked about security when we, before we started this morning. Um, obviously, the Yahoo hack is news there, and, and all the security problems everywhere. Well, say, say what it is. I mean, at the end of the Verizon, saying they may want to reprice the deal with Yahoo because Yahoo managed to lose whatever it was five hundred million or some outrageously large number of of uh, customer uh, identifications. So Verizon paid for bought Yahoo for a big sum, billions and billions of dollars, and then found out after the fact that post-purchase kicks in, whoa, there's a hack, and it significantly drops the value of the company. People are flocking off Yahoo like it's nobody's business. The emails are out there, and certainly who's going to use Yahoo Mail after this? So the values drop significantly. What the number is, I have no clue. And, and it, was a, it was about a 24 or 30-month period that the hack was going on. So at some point in time, Yahoo must have figured this out. And, and yeah, well, Yahoo knew they and they were probably going to be liable in due diligence if they didn't disclose. I just don't understand how they could have a hack that was at this intricate levels that the government was working on and that Marissa Mayer did not disclose and her team did not disclose to Verizon. Yeah. That is that is a head fake. Yeah, that is fraud. Uh, so, uh, I mean, don't go that far, I mean, but it's, it's something. I mean, come on. That's like saying, hey, buy my house and the plumbing's great, but there's a plumbing problem you know, that's going to basically cost the value of that Except house. for that toilet. Yeah, it's an obligation <laughs> of the buyer to do due diligence, but if they don't get the information, it's pretty significant. Right, right. But this brings up the bigger picture. You know, politics is, is a hot with the election year and, and the election is, is is its own thing. But one of the things that comes up is security of our homeland yep. security. Obviously, post 9-11 uh, in 2001 to now you're seeing um, the, quote, threat from terrorism as the number one issue. Obviously, bombs blowing up in New York City. It's a huge problem. But one terrorist activity is cyber yep. people are being hacked by foreign countries they say foreign actors basically russia uh, and potentially china and other countries our citizens in the united states today are exposing their liberties financial and 
um, their their information, yep. their life. Yep, yep. And where the hell's the help? Yeah, and, and where's the outrage? You know, so so uh, look, it's it's really bad that. But look, terrorism has some very specific definitions, and I don't know that either is particularly competent to talking about that, other than it's the act of violence intended to inspire fear in a community. Well, uh, okay, so we're doing everything we can to avoid, you know, bad, to, to keep bad people out, to keep bad acts from not happening, so that our physical lives are not compromised by an act intended to inspire fear in a community all right let's put that aside a lot of time a lot of energy on that but at the same time billions of dollars of nasty stuff is happening to people in this country well the yahoo hack points it out i mean because the average we're in tech and we're silicon valley so we're sensitive to what we can, you can do to two-factor authentication but ultimately if the data is on a server we get it but what about middle america what about people who actually use email and like communicate in their lives do banking people are doing spear phishing this notion of targeting uh, a malware hey download this link from your cousin see i think not- we're complicit john i think that one of the reasons why we're not talking about it as much as we should is because there were so many companies in Silicon Valley, the entire Web 2.0 revolution was funded by ad-based business models. And the entire predicate of Facebook and Google and a whole bunch of other businesses, hey, give us your information so that we can monetize it against these rules and we'll give you all these free services. And people bought into that. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we've accepted that kind of relationship but a third party's now coming in or groups of third parties now coming in to So are you saying that the startups that are growing are irresponsible? No, I'm saying complicit? I'm saying the reason we're not hearing the outcry or the reason why it's muted is because the very companies that should be leading the outcry are the very companies that are making models or making money on the very on the model that made that makes it possible in the first place in many respects. Well, certainly in Silicon Valley here, the talk of the town is the role of activism in government and politics. That could be step one. I mean, you're seeing all these billionaires now throwing money, first of all, to help Hillary win the election. I mean, now I'm against that, by the way. I don't, I think those Facebook billionaires should put that money into education. To have someone win an election is just such a waste of cash. She's gonna win anyway. So like, it just sickens me on that. But what it means though, is that they're getting involved and they want to bring a, so I let's see. I don't want to say libertarian, but the Silicon Valley ethos to politics. There are a lot of policy. Cyber, obviously, is technical. Yeah. Look, what's so, your thoughts on that? Because this is actually a good sign, isn't it? Uh, don't get you me can, going on libertarianism. Um, be, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, supply side economics is to economics what libertarianism is to politics. It's just voodoo politics. Um, it is. So you can just discount half of the nonsense, half the rubbish that you hear from Silicon Valley executives about their political philosophies. It's just rubbish. Now, having said, having said that, and I could give you all kinds of examples as to why that is, but having said that, yes, it's wonderful that Silicon Valley is getting active. There's a lot of smart people here. There's a lot of very good people here. There's a lot of people who want to do good for the universe. Fantastic stuff. Good to see their money get involved in the community to try to drive but change. But to your point that that technology was always a passive role in any policy. We had a secure internet. Now with mobile, there's more exposure to to you know. Well, in many respects, yeah. technology companies started getting involved, and they 
got worried that the other side or some other political entity or some other political force was going to undermine the very rights and privileges that they had. You know, net neutrality, where, you know, one of the reasons why Verizon might have come into the Valley is because Yahoo is one of the primary uh, yeah. Opponents I mean, to Verizon about unnecessary. I mean, I get in this debate all the time. Being from the East Coast originally, I have a parochial view about a lot of things. But living out in Silicon Valley, one thing I love about living out here is that you think differently creates a creative innovation mindset. Yeah, and it's not a bad thing. And I think security is so broken right now. To mm -hmm. your point, that there has to be new solutions right now to fix it. And right. I just don't see anything that's like compelling. I mean, but it's not just the point is, John. It's, you're absolutely first of all, you're absolutely right. But it's not just tech technical solutions. It's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years what in particular Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Google says that their role is to do no harm. I'm not sure I buy that. Google, Google <laughs> Google's Google. job is to make the web page go fast so they can put more ads that's on the page. Right, that's exactly right. But Zuckerberg actually does take action that are not necessarily in the best interest of Facebooks and its shareholders. That sometimes that's authentic philanthropy. We talked about that. Yeah. His mission to solve diseases yeah, he's really, he's keeps people really, around. It's machine learning. Really it's, demonstrate. It's not it, the other guys who spend fifteen million to have Hillary elected. You know, that's a different philanthropy. He approach. is. He's a different cat. He's just a different cat. I don't know him. I don't care if I ever meet him. I live in Palo Alto. I, I probably won't. He's probably going to. He's jogging get, around the neighborhood. So oh, he's jogging around the neighborhood. He's got, but he's trying to buy his nine building compound or whatever he's trying to do. Oh, whatever, Mark, you go have fun. <laughs> so it, this is this is not a personal thing. You know, I, honest to God, honest to goodness, if I ran into him or if I well, if I ran into him, I'd probably kill him. I'm six three. I weigh two hundred eighty pounds, and he's whatever he is. But he's the, bulking uh, up. You should see him. He's getting he's getting pretty buff there. I, I you know, still don't think he'd buffs up withstand that particular no, he well. would definitely bounce off you for sure and hit the pavement <laughs> but the point is the point ultimately is he's a different cat yeah. and that that's good he's a, and and let's let's just let's just see whether or not he emerges as a leader in this clawing back some degree of control over a person's digital identity whether or not facebook participates in that process uh because it could in many respects this is going to boil down to what does facebook do I think Facebook is going to be a – it's going to have a lot of challenges because one thing I'm always – first of all, it's a, it's a great platform. they got billions of people on it. But at what point does pay, Facebook become a public service? I mean, I was watching Mark Zuckerberg this past weekend do a live stream from his backyard um, during the pre-debate, before the debate, and he was just turning on the camera to show his smoker in the background. He was doing some meat. And instantly had like 85,000 people watching. So the control that he now has, the, the what do you call it, the God switch or whatever, he could literally, like an intercom system, just interrupt everyone's news feed and saying, I'm going to broadcast to you my barbecue. Okay. <laughs> so he or any and political. Would say, Thank you. Um, and then, first of all, he was, he was, you know, still eating, he's eating meat. But another point is, he has influence as a public utility. You can argue that Facebook should be uh, regulated. I'm sure it scares the hell out of the politics because he, in essence, could use that platform to influence a lot of things. So to your point, it's a double-edged sword. The, well, minute, no. the minute he starts doing things like, I want to influence the election or I want to change people's perceptions, it creates a massive craze. People go nuts. Yeah, and, look, and, and, and it's one of the reasons why I think he's actually going to turn into a, uh, he's actually going to, He's actually going to be one of those executives that goes down at, at a at, He's going to be one of the leaders that takes us through this transformation where digital technology is 
less than invasive, it actually becomes a natural part of our lives. Yeah, and I think one of the things that he's done, we're gonna talk about this in our next segment, customer focus versus being a supplier agenda driven. And Zuckerberg, I think, just to end that point, in my opinion, so far, has played his cards well, properly. Well, before you go, let me, make, let, me, let me agree with you, John, because uh, I actually made a series of suggestions probably 2009, uh, somewhat wistfully, but now I think, to your point, that maybe it does make some sense that the U.S. Post Office should have bought Facebook. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of billions of people. But the point is, he's played his cards right because the one thing that's going to hurt Facebook is being regulated at some point or turning into a walled garden where the user experience Well, think about sucks. it. Think about it. So, the U.S. Post Office is a government-owned but... Uh, but uh, mandated to run separately without political influence entity. Yeah. Now, the U.S. government can't afford to buy Facebook. Well, they can afford to buy Twitter. So let's now. Well, there you go. That's a good one. They should own Twitter as a backbone and open up to developers. And that would be an opportunity. I'd love to have that conversation. In fact, let's jump into the next segment after this short break. We'll talk about the customer-centric versus a vendor, almost a builder of companies perspective. I think the world is shifting, and this is something that no one's talking about. We're going to talk about in-depth in the next segment. Peter Burris and I are going to drill down and talk about this new mindset of success. It is not about the company and the products. It's about the customer value. The ones that are doing that are winning. We're going to do in-depth on that right after the short break. I remember when I had such a fantastic batting practice, I walked by a couple of sports writers in that era. Hall of Famer, Reggie Jackson. It was like... You were rocking it out I, there. I, I, I kind of hope I didn't leave it out here. Reggie <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> when the game started, I got back in that moment. I got back in what was live, what was now. I went and did a uh, something with ESPN earlier this year with Stephen Curry. They said, Reggie, we want you to come up and watch his practice, his pregame. You know, it was very similar to your batting practice where people come out and watch, etc. And I watched the dribbling exhibition. I watched the going between the legs and the behind the back and the fancy passing, etc. And I watched the shots. And the guy asked me what I thought of the show. And I said, well, it, it's a cool show, but I'm going to see all that tonight. He does all that. He brought I it said, into the game. Yeah, I said, so it, <laughs> it's, a, it's not a show, but that's his game. Mr. October. I think our world now, with the instant gratification of, of sending out a message or tweeting to someone or some, whatever, certainly in the moment, uh, is about what our youth is and, and who we are today as, as a country, as a, as a universe. Congratulations, Reggie Jackson. You are CUBE alumni. Hi, I'm Stu Miniman. I've been an analyst with Wikibon and a co-host of the Cube since 2010. It's been an exciting journey working with the Cube. Uh, we get to go out to so many shows, help extract the signal from the noise, uh, interact with such a wide variety of, uh, of, of clientele, both practitioners, thought leaders, the big name uh, industry people, and we've helped some people uh, raise their profiles in there. Uh, especially love working with those practitioners. Uh, we've seen them move their careers forward and move their businesses forward as they take advantage of uh, technologies and practices uh, that they've learned talking with us, working with our research people, and working with their peers. This is Stu Miniman. Thanks for watching The Cube. You're listening to the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. Joining me again is Peter Burke, breaking it down. 
All right, last segment is just kind of thinking out loud where we just kind of riff on all the work we've done with the Cube this week, the research that you've been uh, leading and, and publishing, and certainly the Silicon Angle uh, uh, publication blog that we were that Rob Hope is editing now. Um, a lot of stuff going on. We've got the Grace Hopper event next week. I'm so excited for that because that is women in tech. That's when I get to go to an event where there's more women than men, and I love women in tech. I'm just going to put that out there. The 16,000 women will be there. There's no lines to the men's room. And the cube's going to be there. <laughs> okay. There's no lines to the men's room. There's no lines for the men's room. So and the, there's a line for the women's room, which is the exact opposite of every single tech event that we go to. So it's super exciting. The cube is going to have a 40 by 40 stage, 10 reporters. We're launching our Ground Truth partnership with our Tech Truth Fellowship with all of our amazing fellows. We had them in the studio and in our Boston office yesterday. It's going to be awesome. This Tech Truth is just absolutely getting a lot of momentum. I'm super excited about it. It's going to be awesome for our business. Dell World, Michael Dell is going to sit down with Stu Benjamin and Dave Vellante. And then we got World of Watson the next week with IBM because I'm really going to find out what's going on with IBM with this Amazon deal. Um, thinking out loud, customer-centric thinking is a new normal that not a lot of people are talking about, Peter. We've been talking about it, certainly with our programming and our content. It is about customer value. It used to be in tech that that was a punchline. We're very customer-centric. Now it's so obvious and transparent in the data that's freely available if a company that supplies technology is customer-centric. And in some cases, the customers are becoming the technology provider. Okay. So here we go. Take that call. It's an inbound call. No. So, I mean, look, at here's the deal. It used to, I'm a company. I build a product. I got to sell it. And I push it out to the market, and you eat it, and you use it, and you buy it. Now, what came up with the Amazon yesterday, Amazon had to build technology for their books to sell online. Then they end up becoming a technology supplier. The deal yesterday with Amazon and VMware was all about customer choice. It had nothing to do with who wins or who loses as a company. It's who's set up to do business that serves customers. Because they're now in the driver's seat of not only, they're not procuring technology, they're building technology. They're the supplier. The cloud is this new SaaS. What's your thoughts on this customer centric? And the companies that are doing are winning. So I, I, used to do, I used to do a presentation, John, uh, for executives on this and, and took this back about 800, 900 years. But let's keep it really simple. And it's kind of a funny it's been a funny thread. It's been argued about for a long time. <clears throat> Peter Drucker is a very, very well-respected management thinker, probably the best, one of the best social science writers of the last 100-plus years. Peter Drucker said that there are two ways of looking at things. You can look at value in, in exchange, or you can look at value in utility. Value in exchange, this comes back from Adam Smith, value in exchange is there's something intrinsic about the value of the product. Most of Silicon Valley is set up to believe that they are creating value in exchange. You are so lucky, Ms. Customer, to get access to the value that I and my engineering team have constructed and put into this product that you should bow down and pray and make us all millionaires. That's been the Silicon Valley ethic for what, 40, 50 years. It's a value in exchange mentality. You got, and Larry Ellison used to say, I got two people that are worthwhile to me. I got people who make stuff and people who sell stuff. And everybody else, all these marketing people are, I don't need them. So it's been a value and in exchange. And what's the relevance of this? What's the point? Well, it's, it's a value in exchange culture. Now, if, but 
in the reality, it's always value and utility. It's how do you get utility out of things? It's really matters. It's the use of the product is really what generates value. That's where the customer comes in. The customers use the product and they create value in something. And Silicon Valley is only now starting to realize it, partly because we're moving from a product orientation to a service orientation, where the ser- where continuous ongoing uh, service is a different orient, different way of thinking about how we're going to package, yeah, how but we're going to sell if the product. Things, if technology is a service, okay, as we get to that service utility, so let's just put things in tech perspective. Cloud computing is all about a service. Oracle sells software as a service. There's so people you buy application software. Right. So AWS, applications are what people are building. AWS, but but AWS, so, right? But AWS is not sitting there telling you you get value as a consequence of hitting this console. They say you get value as a consequence of accessing the service, and then what you put into it is what's creating value. So I'm a customer. I have a business model. I say, hey, you know, people buy my stuff or my service. I could be retail, it could be manufacturing, it could be whatever it is. I have a customer that I move value to and they pay me cash. Right. That's a basic business well, model. That's, but that's not the way, but that's or, not the or, way the real world works. I mean, that's well, the way we, how do businesses that's, operate. That's the way we that's talk the way, about that's the that, way it works. But that's right? the, no, that's, that's the, that's Why the way would someone be in business if they don't cancel a product. Well, they can't, but because what that, what they're selling is they're selling the utilization of the product. That's what they're selling. And that's not the way the Silicon Valley has historically thought about things. The, it's the utilization of the product that's actually creating the value. Yeah. The customers, the customers creating value out of the utilization. So what does this all? So for example, agile development is the entire approach is let's see how it's used, let's sprint, let's get feedback, and it's just ongoing. It's empirical. It's iterative. It's highly opportunistic, and it's very centered on the utilization of the product. So. The traditional way of thinking about things is I create it, you buy it, I walk away, give me a call you know, if you have a support problem, but you never will and I really don't want it. That's one way of thinking about it, but that's not the way that today's market works. And I would argue it's not the way that the, the past has worked either. So this whole notion of customer-centric is the value happens when the customer uses it. All right, so the customer value is all about um – the, the mindset. And, and and this is interesting because it used to be like, um, certainly the press talk about the company, Apple Computer. Oh, they're doing well. So it's always this zero-sum game. I've noticed a shift in the press here in Silicon Valley, which, by the way, is all about innovation. It's about creating creating something of value and creating wealth and, and, and you know jobs and whatnot. But the, the press have always been enamored by the company, you know. They prop up the company and love to take them down. They, you know, they prop up the you know, CEO and they love to take them down. You can't see, you know, so many examples. But now the shift is towards a more societal impact. So, you know, there's an intersection between technology and now what I would call social justice of impact. And I think that's something that we're starting to see more of. And I see people want more of that content. Mm-hmm. Hey, what does it mean for me? The old expression, what the hell's in it for me? Mm-hmm is much more of a narrative. Now, I don't know if that's a shift or the fact that it's always been there, but now with social media, we actually can see the inbound demand for it. What's your thoughts? I think that's a big part of it, John, but I think it's also that as technology gets more ubiquitous and gets more buried deeper into individual lives, they're increasingly going to ask, well, I know how it affects my pocketbook. I know how it affects my time. How does it affect my privacy? How does it affect my technology? How, how, How does it 
does it make me feel angst because I don't understand it? So we're thinking out loud, and even though we we talk about customer-centric value, it's so much fun to talk about who wins and who loses. Come on, it's about it's about the theater of technology. It's like it's not the big race. It's like everyone's changing. And just as I'm reading an article here, Cisco president said, "One hiccup and boom, AWS is gone." Oh my God, are you kidding me? That is embarrassing. From the company that I, probably should have done this a long time ago. It was from the the president of Cisco's business in Europe. So I, I take that comment. That's just the register going crazy. Um, <laughs> other headlines is uh, um, this is the re register's got Amazon AWS. Hi there, VMware. We submit. Please save us. Yeah, um, yeah enough of that. This is, but who really wins in this scenario? Because I think IBM, Amazon, AWS. Don't forget Apple out there. I mean, I think Apple is one of those partners that they haven't really made any alliances yet. They haven't. They have to revamp their cloud. They run a huge scale. Uh, Facebook is one that has now a work product that was shipped this week that's going to be in the enterprise. So I think VMware made a great move with AWS. It I certainly agree, saves them. And I like I like the business model. We're going to cheer. I think the cultural fits there. But now you've got IBM and a bunch of other folks in the that have enterprise experience. Okay, let's face it. Amazon doesn't have any experience selling utility enterprise-like stuff. Well, they got IBM has a ton of experience. That's, that's the difference. So, so there's a significant differential between the experience that Amazon has and the experience that uh, uh, IBM has. But no, in the general, you're right. So who wins? Uh, VMware customers, clearly big winners. What happens with, uh, will, will VMware win? We'll see. He's so choked up. He's, he can't I'm even. So he can't up. even. He's a little. He's a little nervous. Look, I love it. I don't think. I think the. You know, you said something last time that I love. I forget if it was here or it was on the Cube gig, um, and it was reference to Oracle. But I think it applies to everyone. If you have customers and you have cash, you have time. That's right. And I think that to me is a great way to filter who is going to hang around because the musical chairs are coming. It's going to stop, and whoever's not sitting down is going to be screwed. And I'll and I'll add one thing to that: if you have customers and you have cash, you have and you have partners willing to put technology or willing to invest in technology to help you solve your problems you got time and aws told told vmware yeah we'll put a little bit of our engineering into making your customer successful we have all the time in the world but we have to close this out right now we went over our time we're trying to get the 30 minute clock down but leonard would do a great job i'm going to be heading to santa barbara today so take my son down for a lacrosse game um, but we had a great week and next week at two weeks of on the road, we got Grace Hopper. I think we'll be back Friday for the Cube Show here on Cube Friday and Silicon Valley Friday Show, and then the World of Watson the week after. Um, it should be awesome, and uh, always stay tuned for the Silicon Valley Friday Show. I'm John Furrier today with Peter Burris. We're talking about the storm in Silicon Valley, all the cloud action happening, and customer centric security. We got Facebook in there, Peter. Great job. Thanks for for sharing your thoughts. We'll see you next time. Always.